And uh, it's what we've been talking about for the past uh, few weeks, uh, because we call this whole thing, the holy days are here, and basing it on 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9 and verse 15, which I do not have marked, so I'm going to turn to it again. But uh, it is where uh, Paul expresses thanksgiving, um, and for God's unspeakable, immeasurable, unexplainable, no way you can comprehend it, gift in Christ Jesus, right? Uh, and we, we covered that uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I'd just like to reemphasize it, that last verse of chapter 9, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. It is such a great gift, Paul had to make up a word to describe it, and the word he, he made up means you can't get it even if I explained it to you, because I can't get it even though I know it is. It's just, it's God is so amazing, it's, you can't put it into words. And what is the gift he's talking about? The gift is Christ himself, right? Y'all with me? I know we've all been kind of settling in. I'm, I'm kind of starting talking quick and early. But, but yeah, the, the gift is Christ himself. We're also using Psalm 100 where it says that we come into his presence with thanks and, and, uh, and, and with gratitude. But, but where do we learn how to be thankful? I don't know if you ever thought about it, but is God himself thankful? We, we cannot have an attribute in us that is not in God. You say, well, what about anger? The Bible says, be angry and sin not. God has anger. God has wrath. Right? But he doesn't sin in his use of anger and wrath. And he tells us not to sin in our use of it. Right? So angry doesn't mean you got to sin. But you can. It's a lot easier once you're angry. I can promise you. But, uh, but so, uh, so God has to have thankfulness. Well, Jesus is the one who reveals God to us and so you may find another one, and, and you know, preachers always say there's only four things, or only ten times, and then somebody comes and goes, you missed this one. So if I miss one, I'm sorry, but only found four times by looking at the word thanks or thanksgiving or thankful, where Jesus used that term. Now, as I thought about it, that's kind of odd, isn't it? That Jesus, who is co-equal with God, of the same substance, same essence, same plan, same thinking, same everything, though he emptied himself and became a servant, he shows us as a man that he's thankful to God for the plan that he made. And by he, I mean Jesus himself. According to Colossians, the first chapter, Jesus thought of all of this. Jesus did all of this, and Jesus holds all this together until the end when he comes back. And the Bible tells us in Corinthians, then he will turn and give all things to the Father so the Father might be glorified in all things. Uh, and, and so we don't understand how the Trinity works exactly. These are things we get out of the Bible, though. Um, and so we find that Jesus is thankful. So as we approach Thanksgiving, instead of me telling you what you ought to be thankful or how to be thankful, I, we can look and see where Jesus gave thanks. And I think we can learn a few lessons from it. So this is what I want you to remember this week. Uh, if you're going to be thankful, our best example is Jesus, okay? Secondly, just before I get too far away, um, I hope you have uh, that list of scriptures with you. Uh, did, did we get those out this week again? I, 
I, I never double check. I ought to double check. This is where I'm bad at things. Um, but it always gets done, and, and I trust people, and so I'm grateful for that. So th- almost every scripture I'm going to use is in there. I, I thought of two more after y'all got that. So if I remember, I'll, I'll make sure you get those if you want to write them down. And then just take that this week. The reason I give you that is this week. You can go back, read through those, and uh, just be thankful to God on what you find there. But... Um, I want you to open your Bibles now to Matthew 11. I want you to look at the, the different ones we're going to go over. As I said, there's four of them. And so if you look at Matthew 11, and with these new lights, man, my eyes take in a lot of light. And so y'all are all a little fuzzy to me. So um, we're, we're still working on getting adjusted to them. I, I was telling my brother-in-law how we got these uh, lights. And he said, yeah, they did the same thing at his work. Uh, back home in South Carolina, where they're from, and he said, we were having to wear sunglasses in there because the difference between what we had and what we got. And I, I was like, yeah, I got mine. I started to wear them up here and go, I'm not trying to be cool. I just can't see. But, uh, but anyway, I couldn't be cool if I tried. But anyway, Matthew 11, I'm cool in my geekness. So anyway, uh, Matthew 11, beginning verse 25. Um, Jesus says, and, and since we're going to be reading multiple scriptures, usually I'd have you stand. We'd read a main scripture. And, and we, it just would be awkward and cumbersome to do that today. Um, but I'm sure you're giving full attention to God and his word and giving him full respect as you follow along with me. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So you can know the Father, but you've got to come through the Son. John fourteen six again. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, When we went to the uh, the state convention here uh, in Virginia uh, last week, um, there was a sermon based on those last two verses. I encourage you to go to the SBCV website v.org or SBC of Virginia. If you Google it, you get it. And you can listen to the sermons that we heard. They are very, very good. And, and I recommend that. But we heard about those last two. I left it in there because they're good. But I want to emphasize on the first verse that I read there where Jesus says, "At that, uh, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. First thing I want you to catch there, uh, and this isn't in particular order uh, uh, in, in one sense, is that there is a revelation given. Now, the word revelation, you know there's a Bible book called Revelation, right? And, and so what the word revelation means, you, you kind of have a good idea what it means. A lot of people think the book of Revelation is um, a certain type of literature, and it's not. It is actually the revelation of God's will about what's going to happen uh, in this one period of time where the earth, everything's going to change for the final, not the final time, but it's going to usher in that final time of change where uh, tribulation is going to happen, Jesus is going to come back, Uh, And then a lot more stuff's going to happen after that. And we'll even get a new earth after all that. But revelation, the word revelation in the Bible means to reveal what is hidden. That that, that it's exposed. It's like, 
not that you would do this, but you smell a foul smell and you go, that sm smells weird. And you kind of follow it. And you might fall to your refrigerator and, you know, I, I was single by myself for some time before I got married and I had baloney that evolved into a life form. Um, you know, um, so you smell and so you open that refrigerator and you go, I smell it. And then finally you pull something up and go, oh, there it is. You revealed it. You saw it. You found it. Or you might open the lid of the trash can. Oh, that's it. It's in there. You know, you have to take the lid off. That's what the word revelation literally means. To take the lid off to expose what's in there. The Bible talks about sin in our life, all those things. But that the word of God and the spirit of God take the word of God and go down into the cellar of our being and find that dead rat in our life that's smelling up the whole life. You know what I mean? And, and he will help reveal that. So he says here that the father has revealed hidden things. Now that's exciting news because God knows all things, right? And so if God doesn't reveal them, we can't know them. You with me? Did you know that in the Bible, there are a lot of scientific facts that are just not said, now let me give you a scientific fact, and God said it. He just said some stuff that we didn't discover until years and years later, such as that air has weight. That's in the Bible. That the air runs in currents is in the Bible. That there are streams in the ocean, like the Gulf Stream, that's in the Bible. It doesn't call it the Gulf Stream, but that there are rivers in the ocean is in the Bible. Do you know why we call the jet stream the jet stream? Because we didn't know it was there till we had... Thank you. <laughs> they wondered why it took less time to go this way than to go that way. And so they started looking around, figured it out. There is a stream of air flowing from west to east up in the upper atmosphere. And that's, how, that's why it's called the jet stream. That's what it took to discover it. So God reveals stuff to us. But here's the deal. What does it take to have something revealed to you? Not somebody telling you, it takes humility on your part to hear it. My dad had a, I call it a disease, because I inherited, I have that disease. And that is, you go to tell me something, and I start going, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> My sister's right here, and she's laughing at me, because she knows that's true. And it's, it's a pride of not wanting anybody to think you are ignorant. Listen, every man's ignorant just about a different subject. And, and I am the world's worst. I will interrupt you. I will tell you what you are about to tell me. And most of the time, I'm probably wrong. <laughs> because why? That's pride. Humility says, I'm going to listen and I'm going to consider this. In fact, that's an attribute of Joseph. I don't know if I'll be preaching on that, but in Matthew, the Bible, describing Joseph, the earthly father, the stepfather of Jesus, that he considered, while he was considering these things, he was thinking about what he had been told, what, what was going on. He was a considerate man. He considered things. And, and so the Bible here tells us these amazing, mighty, unbelievable, you can't understand that things are revealed to children because everything they know, they've been taught, right? Well, here's the little secret. Everything you know, you've been taught. And if you ever get to a place where you think you've learned it all, you've quit learning. I, I'm not saying that there aren't some definable truths that you know and will never change. But there are a lot of details that you might just be wrong about. All you got to do is we can start on this side and, and we could tell 
a secret from one person to the next, and by the time it got to this side, it would be totally off, right? Y'all remember playing that game when you were kids? Some of y'all never got to play that, and it shows. But the rest of us, we know, we called it gossip, and the youth leaders used to do it all the time. Okay, you lean over and tell that one a secret, and we whispered, and somebody's there around the room and got to the end. It had nothing to do with what the first person said. And sometimes we think we know stuff, and we don't. But God knows everything, right? God's Holy Spirit lives in us, and he, we, he doesn't reveal to us in the sense of something brand new we've never seen before, because what God has wanted to reveal, He has revealed in God's Word. You with me? Let me give you some good theology and Christian practice right here. When a guy gets up and says, God told me something, and he quotes God, and it's not in here, he's lying. Just going to say that plain, and that includes this one. So if you hear me do that, you can say, you sure God said that? And so that's why if you and I have a disagreement, we're going to go to here because I know this is what God said. But we, what the Holy Spirit does, we use a term called illuminates. I was talking about these bright lights in here. They're dulling the pictures back there. We got we to fix some stuff to get that where we can actually see the, the, the words back there. Because the illumination is so great, we can't see that. The Holy Spirit comes and illuminates God's revelation to us. That is, He gives us understanding. That's what we use that term to mean. In other words, I've read some stuff a thousand times and went, oh, whoa, you know, 50 years later, you read the same thing and go, I didn't see that. And, and I love it when God does that. And so, so revelation, to hear revelation, takes real humility and it eliminates fear. It gives us trust. It eliminates fear. I don't have to worry about what's what because God's got it. He knows. He's got the revelation. And do you think a, a child doesn't fear? A child doesn't sit around going, especially in here, when, when, how am I going to afford that new car? You know, how, where's my next meal coming from? They don't think that way. Because it's provided for them. And the Father wants us to trust Him in that same way. And if we're going to trust God to reveal stuff to us, we can trust Him to take care of our need, right? Let me, let me give you a, a... This is one of the ones that I didn't put in there. And it's Psalm 131. So if you want to write that down somewhere, um, it'll be a blessing to you. It's a very short psalm. And I'm going to also read that one to you. Because it is very, very short. But listen to what it says. O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. In other words, I'm not proud. I've got humility. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Some people ask questions that cannot be answered. Then he says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. A baby that's not been weaned can smell her come into a room and start fidgeting, wanting, that, wanting food. But a weaned child is calm. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. No time forth and forevermore. When we rest from our labor, and that's those last two verses, in our labor we have rest. Because Jesus says, come take my yoke. He, in the, without getting into a lot of detail, that yoke is made exactly for us. But a yoke has a teammate, and the teammate is Jesus. And he says, my yoke is well fitted, and my burden is light. He carries the weight of what we are doing, the burden that we carry. And so we can relax. And in humility, have God show us things that we would not know. 
There are some people with PhDs think they know it all. Not, all. not all PhDs, but some of them think they already know everything. And when that happens, they get in danger. And that happens for all of us. And we, we, we get in danger when I, I know I'm right. You know, it's me and my wife, my son, John, and his wife, us four no more, right? And you're wrong. You got to be wrong because you don't agree with me. It would do us all to have some humility, right? I know that's my case. It would do me a lot of good. John, uh, Luke 10, 21, which is on your list, is this exact same thing. But let me just say about it, just through, through the reference so you know. It eliminates our shopping list prayers. Because we don't become demanding, we become humble and trusting. If we can trust God, then he will give us exactly what we need. And to say that you don't have what you need to the one who provided what you need. You know, don't they have a saying in the military, you guys that were in the military? If the Navy, Army, Marines, Air Force wanted you to have a wife that issued you one. You know that, that little saying when you go to tell them something? Yeah, no. You, you don't tell God what you need. He knows what you need. He's already provided it. He's already given you everything you need. The hymn writer put that in great is thy faithfulness. All I have needed your hand hath, which is the old way of saying, has already done, provided my need. God's already given it to you. You, you have everything you need. Now, when you think you need more, it's because you're desiring something. Maybe God doesn't want you to have. You can tell him about it. Say, hey, I'd like to have this. I don't know if I need it or not, but I'd like to have it. And God may give that to you. But it eliminates us thinking we can tell God what to do because he knows better than us. When I said humility... For me to say that you're wrong and I'm right means that I am claiming, or if I interrupt you when you're trying to tell me something, this is my biggest problem, and if I do that, do you please forgive me? Number one, number two, tell me I just did. You interrupted me. I'm sorry, because I do it. It just, my brain is thinking to, about what you're about to say. And, but for me to do that, I am claiming for myself foreknowledge of everything in the universe. And that I can read your mind. I know everything's in your mind. And I know everything you're going to say. See, that's the opposite of humility, isn't it? And isn't that how we go to God? God, I know, you know, when Moses cried out to God, God, your people are in Egypt. They're in slavery. Why don't you do something? And God said, not me, it's you. I'm going to use you. I'm glad you finally noticed. God already knew. And see, it makes us pray differently. I go to God and say, God, you know all things. You got this under control. This is what it looks like to me. Just start putting it out there so you can help me with it. But help me. Because God does know and I don't. I don't know about my own life. I certainly don't know about your life. So we learn when Jesus is giving, th God, thank you that you reveal this to children, but you hide it from those who think they're wise. You know, in Romans 1 and 2, it says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Right? Well, the second place that we see Jesus being thankful is John chapter 6. So if you look over to John chapter 6, the first one he gives thanks for God's simplicity is what I had up there. Now, Jesus gives thanks for God's provision. I just kind of touched on that. Is what God has provided good enough for you? Now, in saying all that, I get they have a real need. There are some times what you want might be exactly what you need. Maybe God has withheld it so you will talk to him. In fact, Jesus gave parables saying that he taught them a 
by a parable that they ought to always pray and not lose heart, not faint, not give up. And the, the, the person in that parable had a great need and they went to their friend to get their need met and at first the friend didn't want to meet the need but because of their insistence, the, not because he was a friend but because the guy wouldn't leave him alone, he gave it to him. And the Bible tells us God, Jesus told us that so that we wouldn't give up praying. Keep praying, keep praying. God wants us to come in with our need. And in John 6, it's a little bit longer passage, 13 verses. But you know it is the feeding of the 5,000. And, and I won't read all 13 verses. You've heard this story a lot. It is the only story about the life of Jesus other than his death and his crucifixion and his resurrection that is in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. His birth is only in two of them. But his death is in all four. And the only other story in all four is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. There's also the story of the feeding of the 4,000 in which he says these same words, but we're going to take the 5,000. And there are a ton of good lessons in that old story, but I'm going to pick one out. And that is this. As you look at this scripture, uh, look at verse 5. Lifting up his eyes and seeing a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus says to Philip, where are we going to buy bread so these people can eat? Now notice what it says right after that. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Jesus already had the plan. When you see a problem, God has revealed a problem to you. You don't even know what problems you have. He shows them to you. Did you know that? The thing that caught you by surprise this week did not surprise God at all. He knew it before he created the world that was going to happen. He's just, he has all knowledge. And so... It says very plainly here in verse 6, He said it to test him for himself, knew what he was going to do. Philip said, 200 denarii, or 200 days wages worth of bread, would not be enough to, for each of them to get a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, Well, we got a boy here with five loaves and two fish. And Jesus said, Bring that to me. And so he took the loaves... He said, well, back at verse 10, have the people sit down, and there was a lot of grass, so they sat down, the men in, sat down 5,000 in number. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks. Now, <laughs> so many times we say, would you, would you bless the food? Well, I'm not God, I can't bless anything. <laughs> and I know it's just how we talk. But I, I want to make that distinction here to point something out to you. Jesus took that bread and it says, when he had given thanks. Well, what he gave thanks. What was he saying? How do you give thanks? Jesus literally takes that bread. He's got 5,000 people sitting in front of him. He's got five loaves of bread, one loaf per thousand people, not counting the disciples. And that's just the men. If their wives and kids tagged along, it could be 10, 15, 20,000. We don't know. But there were 5,000 men at least. And we all got a bigger appetite usually. And Jesus took that loaf and it says he gave thanks, which means, Father, thank you for this bread. Is it? Are you thankful for the provision God gave? Well, if we were looking at it with man's eyes, I might not be thankful, Corey. I might look at that and go, five loaves, God, really? Is this the best you can do today? Right? 
Are you serious, God? You know I got 5,000 men plus all the, those kids are all screaming and crying because they're hungry. And you gave me five loaves for 5,000 men plus their wives and children. And these 12 complainers that are hanging out with me. Are you crazy, God? That's how we pray. Jesus just goes, thank you. And then he broke it. It's one of my favorite points in this whole story. Whatever you give to God, we ask people, we refer to it this way, to come into relationship with God, we say we give him our life. And we have said that so much, we don't think about it. I have turned control of my life over to God and said, do what you want with it. And he goes, thank you, and breaks it. We go, I didn't know you were going to mess everything up. Can you imagine? That was a perfectly good And you broke it. That means I'm only going to get half of it now. Oh, you're going to get less than that, buddy. You're just going to get a pinch. Whatever you turn over to God, he will break it because it's still yours when it's the way you gave it to him. But when he breaks it, he transforms it into his possession and he begins to multiply it. Moses' rod. What you got in your hand? I, I can't talk good. Well, I'll give you Aaron. Well, what am I going to show him? What you got in your hand? Got a stick? Throw it down. Threw it down. Became a snake. God said, pick it up. Moses picked it up. And the next chapter says, and Moses left with his wife and his children to go back to Egypt. And he took this, this, this. And he took the rod of God. It was no longer Moses' rod. But God broke it. (laughs) He didn't leave it a stick. He turned it into something else and then turned it back into a stick so Moses could carry it around, right? Y'all go back and read it. There's a lot of fascinating things in the Bible. And so Jesus takes this and he is thankful for the provision God gave them and he breaks it and he hands it to the disciples and they start breaking it and distributing it. And at the end of the day, 5,000 men plus their wives, plus their children, plus everybody there had eaten to their fill and they had a basket for each disciple left over. Twelve baskets full of food left over. See, we would have been coming up with a plan. Well, how can we divide these five loaves into pieces that we can feed everybody, right? When, when our mother was alive, my, my sister and I there, when we were younger, we didn't have to ask mom, could somebody come home with us? We just showed up at the door because there's four cell phones for you young people. We didn't always have communicators on us, okay? So we just come in. Hey, mom, so-and-so came home with me. So I was preaching in a church 45 minutes from the house. And a professor of mine showed up at church and said, why don't you come over for dinner? I walk in. I said, mom, this is my professor and his wife. And they were at church and I invited them over. And she said, okay, well, go in the living room and we'll have dinner in a minute. Well, a minute turned into 30 minutes. And... And, and I said, Mom, what's going to take so long? She said, I'm slicing tomatoes. It'll be fine. And she kept saying that. Well, that's become a little way of us saying I'm trying to do. Later, she told me, she said, I don't have enough food to feed them. I had to make a whole other thing of soup. I was, I, said, I was in there making more stuff. And I was trying to delay. And she didn't want to be embarrassed to be caught short. And sometimes what we have, and God says, hey, feed them. And we go, this is all we got. He said, well, that's what you got. Why don't you give it to me? And we give it to him and he breaks it. And we go, why would you break it? Because now I'm going to multiply it. And I'm going to make sure there's enough, not only for the need that I've shown you, but for yourself. And so the gratitude becomes a lifestyle instead of an anxiety as a lifestyle. 
Anxiety means I'm in control and I got to take care of it. Trust means he's got it. <laughs> and when we hand him something, he breaks it. We go, well, that was interesting. <laughs> God can multiply our resources when it's needed. Now, if I'm just sitting around wanting God to make a bunch of bread so it looks cool, he's not into that. But if there is a need I need to fit, fill, and all I got is a loaf of bread for a thousand people or five loaves for five thousand people plus a couple of fish, okay, just hand it to me. I can do anything because he can make it out of nothing, but he can certainly take what's already there and make more out of it. And so it gives us a, a, a lifestyle of thankfulness that, wow, you gave me just what I needed. Thank you so much. There are some real stories of that. But I want you to turn out John 11. While you're in John, just go to John 11. There's another time Jesus said he was thankful. And it's at the tomb of Lazarus. And again, you may know the story. Let me give it to you in brief before I look at the verses I want to see. Um, but his sisters, he was sick. Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha. There's a brother and two sisters, and they were very close to Jesus. So Mary and Martha said word, Lazarus is really sick. And the Bible says, but Jesus remained where he was for four days. And at the end of four days, in that time, Lazarus had died. And they looked at the disciples and said, Our brother Lazarus has, has gone to sleep, and we've got to go wake him up. And they said, Well, if he's asleep, he's going to get better. He, he's, you know, he has to do one of those and goes, No, no, no. You don't understand what I'm saying. He's dead. I've got to go raise him from the dead. Let's go. They get there, and, and uh, Martha meets him first, saying, If you'd have just come earlier, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, Yeah, but I, I can take care of it now. See, she had faith for the past. Man, if we had that preacher back, or if we had this situation we used to have, or we had that resource we used to have, man, we, what could we do now? We got faith for the God of the past. And so then they, Mary, he said, well, where's Mary? Because, you know, she sat at my feet. Maybe she pay attention to what's going on here. And Mary's going, oh, Lord, yeah, he's dead. He goes, I know, but I, he's going to live again. Oh, I know in the last day he'll be raised up. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe on me, you will live even if you're dead. And Mary said, okay. She just had to absorb that. She wasn't real sure. And so Jesus goes to the tomb. Everybody's crying. The Bible says Jesus wept. I think he wept at the grief he was getting rather than the fact that... I, I'm sure Jesus wasn't like me, but that's why I'd be crying like... Man, all these people are getting on my nerves and I can't slap them. <laughs> but listen to what Jesus says instead. Look at verse 38. And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Mars said, sister of the dead man said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. He's been dead four days. Jesus said, did I not tell you if you believed... You would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you always hear me. Now that's mighty bold talk. So they took away the stone and he says, Father, I thank you. You always hear, have, have heard me, that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe you sent me. And then he, when he said these things, he cried out loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And then he said, come forth, everybody got up. So he said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out all swaddled. He says, unwrap him. What do, we, what do we learn from this quick little story is that God always hears the prayers of his children. 
A lost man can get a no from God. It takes a child of God to get a yes. And Jesus said, you always hear me. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're going to say, yeah, but that's Jesus. Okay, well, 2 Corinthians 1, 18 through 20 says, As many as may be the promises of God in Jesus, they are yes. John 16, 23 says, In that day you'll ask me nothing, but you'll ask the Father in my name, and he will give you all things. When Jesus told us to pray in his name, it's not a magic formula where we put at the end of a prayer in the name of Jesus, Amen. When we step into the throne room, we were talking about shopping list prayers before. When we come into the presence of God and we invoke the name of Jesus, in a sense, we are telling God, I am standing, would Jesus stand here and pray that prayer is what I'm asking. And if you don't think Jesus would say that prayer, maybe you shouldn't. Jesus about to raise the day, said, Father, I know you heard me, you always hear me. Just want everybody to know you sent me. Lazarus, come forth. He was in such good communication with God. He knew exactly God's will, and he accomplished it. But I want to encourage you that you can pray in Jesus' name. When you go to God for the needs you have in your life, we have that, we're not sure because we're human. We may not know as well as Jesus knew. But the fact is, in Jesus' name, and you invoke that name, if God doesn't give you what you ask, he's going to explain why. Now, maybe not the wise that you want, but he's going to say, my grace is sufficient. I'm going to give you my presence and power to go through this difficulty, this trouble you're in. The way you get through it is by praying in Jesus' name and then trusting God for what he does because he heard your prayer and he's given you exactly what you need. Now, listen, I've had things in my life where I prayed over and over and over and over. And I remember one specific where I said, God you got to give me a definite something because you keep telling me no, but I don't know why you keep telling me no, so you got to give me a reason. So he gave me the reason. And I hadn't asked him about that since because he settled it for me. I'm just saying, you, you can do something like that. You can say, God, listen, I know I'm trying to trust you, but I really need something here. God will reveal himself to you when you have humility, trust, Praying in Jesus' name, you're sitting there and you're listening and waiting. Jesus has that confidence that what God was going to do. I would point out here quickly that he did not do what they could do. They could move stones and they could unwrap newly resurrected bodies. They could not raise the dead. And neither can we. Because isn't that what God calls the church to do? That he's going to raise some people from their death and sin and trespasses and make them brand new babies. And we're going to take off, help them take off the old clothes and get them some fresh smelling new clean clothes. <laughs> Doesn't God do all that? But he tells us, you move the stone, get the obstacles out of the way. So people that I'm bringing to me, use, we get caught up in the wrong thing. That was one of the sermons that was at the convention you ought to listen to, a guy named Ken Witten. We, we, we get up in our rules and regulations. We get caught up in our forms and our formalities and all the things and we exchange the reality of people's life for a formality at church and so that you and I come to church smiling once we get here but boy up until the parking lot it wasn't that way was it just this morning or was that the other day I started in and Janice said are, are, are we going to fight again before we go to church I know you're right I don't know what, I, I guess that's just a weakness in my, where the devil can poke me and I'll start doing something. Listen, we all suffer through those things, right? 
No, that's not what church is. Church is where we can be real and God can fix things for us. And so we got to take stones out of the way that hinder people from coming to Christ. And then when people get saved, we got to help, help them get cleaned up. We can't clean them up. We can help them. God's got to clean them up too. But only Jesus can raise the dead. Only God can do that. And that is the miracle we're asking for every time we pray for somebody that needs to know Christ. And Jesus said, well, fine. Let's get some stones out of the way. Let's, let's get you ready to take care of them once they're saved. And then, boom, I'll, I'll move. Well, the fourth thing... And by the way, it doesn't take a lot of prayer to do that. Just do it. <laughs> get the stone out of the way. You ain't got to pray about that. That's God's will. Make it where Jesus can get in there. But the last one I want you to see is in Luke 22. And remember what I was saying, you can read something a million times and not see it. This is where this happened for me in this sermon. This is Jesus at the Last Supper, is recorded by Luke. And in verse 17 of Luke 22, and he, uh, and he, sorry, He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, um, Until it was fulfilled in God, he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, for now and I'll not drink of the fruit of the vine till the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you. It is the new covenant in my blood. So he thanked God for the, for the wine. He thanked God for the bread. And he broke it and distributed it. He was thankful. And I had to stop and say, well, what is he being thankful for here? He's being thankful not for the bread and the wine. What does the bread and the wine signify? And what did Jesus know already? That it was symbolizing his broken body and his shed blood. That's going to happen in less than 24 hours. And he holds it up to God and says, thank you. I'm going to be the sacrifice. I don't know anybody much there are a lot of people who might lay down their lives for you, but they not, might not be saying, thank you, God, I get to be the guy that dies for them. Never thought about that till this. Jesus, knowing that this bread and this wine is symbolizing this very body he's in, the very blood flowing through his veins, knowing the horror of what he's about. And we, we think about him being beaten and nails and all that stuff, that the horror of the cross was that he who knew no sin became that rotting, stinking stuff that's in the garbage can that gets revealed when we take off the lid. And the God who has never been anything but one is divided. And the Father being of pure eyes and to look on sin, the sky goes dark and Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And in that moment, he knew the horror of hell because he's separated from the Father. And knowing that horror, he gives thanks to God for God's will. So when you come tell me, I can't be thankful because what God did in my life, I'm going to point you to this. Jesus was thankful for God's will in his life, and he went through a lot more than you. I had a buddy that used to always say, well, it ain't being crucified, so it's not so bad. Because that's all you and I deserved, really. How thankful should we be that he suffered and died in our place? And we can be thankful to God for the power to endure it. How did Jesus go through that? Well, we could jump over to Jesus' praying in the garden in Matthew 26, if you want to write that down. I think that's already, you've already got that written down. But in Matthew 26, he says to the disciples, could you not pray one hour? Listen, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we've always taken that to mean that, well, I want to do good, but I can't do good because I'm weak. What Jesus is saying is, there's a trial coming, and the only way that you're going to be able to overcome that trial is if you strengthen yourself in prayer to come through it. Jesus spent his last moments before his arrest praying to the Father that he would not give up, he would not quit. Thank you, God, I get to be the sacrifice. God, you got to help me do it. And then he did it. So when we're facing a trial, we got to be able to be thankful to God for what's coming, but we also got to get strong in, in God to endure it. And so thankfulness leads to God's power to endure. Knowing that I'm not going to go through a trial like Jesus went through. And he may do and do greater things than these. So that whatever trial's in front of me, he's going to get me through it. But not if I ignore him, only if I'm thankful to him and I'm in his presence. Well, this week it ought to be obvious what you ought to do. But I listed it out just in case you weren't paying attention. First of all, be thankful for the Holy Spirit who reveals God's mind, heart, and will to us in the Word of God. Just be thankful to God for what He's done for us, revealing His, God's mind, His heart, and His will to us. We need the Holy Spirit to help us understand His Word. We need the Holy Spirit to understand God's will. Secondly, be thankful for God's provision in our lack. Whatever you think you don't have, ask God for it. He will either multiply what you got or get it for you. If you need it. If you don't need it, you say, well, I must not have needed that. Thirdly, be thankful for God always hearing your prayer. You pray with confidence. I ran over the verses quickly, but 2 Corinthians 1, as many as may be, as many promises are in this word, in Jesus, they're yours. You can, you can lay hold of them unless God says, that is a provision, but you don't need it, and I'm not going to let you have that right now. You say, okay. It's like a, a little kid asking for a new car. No, you're not getting one of those. You don't need it. You can't use it if I gave it to you. Right? Sometimes what we ask for is not what we need at the moment. But if you need it, he'll get it for you. And then fourthly, be thankful for God providing the strength to endure our trials. Some of y'all in here today may be looking at Thanksgiving coming and you feel like you don't have a lot to be thankful for. And you may be right. I would not dare tell you you were wrong. But I would encourage you to look at, well, what has God given you? Is it a stick? Is it five loaves of bread? But you understand the need is greater than my provision. Exactly. 
Because if you could do it, you wouldn't need God. And so we come to him as children, and he reveals his will and humility. God, I'm not going to tell you how to do it. You tell me how you want to do it. And in humility and trust, we listen to what he is telling us and know that God will provide our needs to take care of everybody around us that we are responsible for and for ourselves. And that God always hears our prayers. And even if there's a death in our family, and I don't mean a physical somebody dying, but some dream or vision or goal or desire that God wants you to have, you think it's dead, he can raise the dead. So even if it's gone, don't give up. And then lastly, as we do that, Lord, if your choice is for me to suffer for a while, give me the power to endure it. Because he will do that so that you can be an example to others that God is enough. You know, you don't ever know that God's all you need until God is all you have. And if you've never, I, I feel sorry for you if you've never been to a place in your life where God was all you had left. Because then you don't understand what I'm saying. But if you ever get the opportunity to be on such rock bottom that God is all you've got left, you'll find out he's all you ever needed. And everything else is just icing on the cake. So Thanksgiving, let's be thankful to such a great, wonderful, mighty, giving God that takes care of our every need.